0: Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxey, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Hi and welcome to this week's edition of EST, hanging out with Josh and Sam and we are excited to kind of dig into a fun topic today, I think, both one that kind of brings back good memories and maybe one that brings back some challenging memories uh, as well. But we're going to talk today about the best lesson we've ever learned, serving in the established church. And uh, why don't we start with uh, you, Sam, just thinking through what are what are some encouraging lessons you've learned and, and again, recognizing that they can come through two different means. They can come through, you know, a fun, happy sort of experience, but they can also be a good lesson that we've learned. They've come through sort, sort of challenge as well. So Sam, what do you think?
1: Well, I've certainly learned a lot of lessons and I have many more to learn as well. And I'm often learning from uh, the people around me, the, the church around me. It, it, you know, conferences are great. Books are great. Um, mentors are great, but but many times it's the people I'm supposed to be shepherding that uh, that I'm learning from most. And I'll never forget one lesson uh, that it, maybe it's not the best lesson I've ever learned, but it's certainly the one that sticks out the most to me because it was the most jarring. Um, i was uh, I was in a person I think it was a personnel committee meeting, and we were talking about all sorts of different things, and the the church was doing really well, but also going through some transitions. Which is, you know, never painful, of course. So we had we had lots we had lots of stuff to talk about, and I'll never forget this uh, one guy. He was a writer, um, not one of the more powerful people in the church, but certainly one of the more respected ones. And and I had just brought in this presentation of whatever I wanted to accomplish, and you know, it was good, it was solid. You know, I had all my research done, I had uh, all the support that I needed, I'd done my homework. And, and he just pulled me aside, and, and he said, Sam, you know, w- we're going to be able to get this through. We're, we're going to be able to, 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 to push through this, and, you know, you're right about all this. But one of the reasons you're struggling, Sam, you, you, he was very kind. He just said, you know, you mind me giving you some feedback? And I, I was like, sure, man. And he said, you know, one of the reasons you're struggling, one of the reasons you're having difficulty with some people here is because you tend to use your intellect as a weapon. And I will never forget that. You know, I, you know, I consider myself a pretty smart guy. I'm not the smartest guy ever, but, you know, I, I, I like to learn. I, you know, I like to read books. I like to know things. I like to do research. I like to have all my ducks in a row. And and he just said, you know, all those are good things. But the, the minute you start using those things as a weapon, you turn people off. Now, how and, long
2: were you pastoring at that
1: time? Um, Let's see, I'd been pastoring at that time probably about four or five years and was still I was probably 29, 30 years old. And um, do you so.
2: think that, like, because the reason I asked that is because don't you think that a lot of younger pastors do that because we we feel like, I went to seminary, I know this stuff.
1: Now listen. Oh, to yeah. Me. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, we, we because because we're not experienced. And I say mm-hmm. we, I guess I'm still young. We're not experienced. Mm-hmm. So we default to the one thing that works for us, which is I'm right. smart. I've got the knowledge. And, and, and knowledge is only one piece of leadership. You know, you have all sorts of other things
0: that are much more intangible than just what you know. And I would say um, I would say with this don't, I think let's not underestimate the insecurity that pastors naturally carry and uh, particularly young pastors. And and I know this has been true for me through much of my ministry. You feel like you're qualified, you feel like you've got the education, but at the same time there's always this nagging sort of voice in the back of your head saying you can't do this. Who are you to think you're, you know, you're in this spot? And right. uh, so there's always this sort of need, compulsive need, to prove yourself. And especially mm-hmm. once you've gone to seminary, you've got a master's degree, or you're getting your doctorate, you got a doctorate, or something like that, hey, let me show you how smart I am. And mm-hmm. uh, in fact, w- when I, t- I talk to seminary students now, I always tell them, you want to sh- show folks how really you've, you've got a grasp on scripture and theology, then show them theology without having to use the the technical language that we're so accustomed to. The problem Mm -hmm. is we use a lot of that technical language and knowledge to try to show evidence of how smart we are. I think the the guys who are most intelligent are able to break it down on a 4th, 5th, 6th grade level without using that jargon, but still get the point across. And so insecurity to me is a massive problem that pastors struggle with. And then we think oftentimes, man, that's a person eaten up with pride. And it may be, but it may actually just be overcompensation because of their significant insecurity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, yeah, I, I think – go ahead. I just say I think overcompensation is probably the biggest issue here. I think, Micah, you, you've you nailed it. I, you tend to default to the things that, that work for you, and um, boy, that, that just hit me. So good work. Hey, you know, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know another thing about this
2: is that it's not just in the pulpit. It's not just in our churches where we sort of overcompensate, but I know we've all been in the room with a bunch of other pastors, and oh, it man. always seems like the youngest guy – Is dropping names like crazy, and the stuff that he learned at a seminary, and I I think it's a it's a real challenge. It's something that hit me hard because I was that guy, completely that guy, a lot of times. And what uh, you have to start reflecting on yourself and realize: look, nobody in the room needs you to prove yourself. You know, one of my favorite lines from a few good men is when he he looks at her, Kathy looks at her, and says, "Why are you always giving me your resume?" And she says, because I want you to think I'm a good lawyer. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of, a lot of times guys are dropping these names, their resume, and they just want you to feel like they're a good pastor. Yeah. And I just want to speak to you young guys. You're a fine pastor. You're doing fine. Don't don't try to prove yourself in the pulpit.
0: Yeah, I used to, I remember working when I was first, uh, the first church I pastored, I was my vocational pastor and I worked in, in the hospitality industry. I was actually working in a hotel and I got promoted into management. And I remember one time. I couldn't get an employee to, to do what I was looking for him to do. And so I, I said to them, do you know who I am? And I said, I'm, you know, I'm your boss. And, and, uh, and my boss took me aside and said, Mike, if you ever have to tell him who you are, you've completely lost him. There's no influence yeah. at that point. And I think that transfers to the pastorate. If you constantly have to show who you are, then you're probably choosing the wrong path to get towards, you know, leadership development and influence. Josh, what about you, man? What are some, uh, some encouraging good lessons you've learned in the pulpit or in the pastorate? I don't,
2: I don't know how encouraging it is, but the biggest lesson I've learned since being a lead pastor is this whole philosophy of hire slow, fire fast. Yeah, I know that's something that comes hard i i think it's something that how very from, Bill hybels ish of you by the way i know is that
0: what he said is that <laughs> he, he does who, i love by the give way him i love the credit, I yeah i love hybels leadership stuff man it's fantastic you know
2: and i just wish i had gotten more advice or had listened to the advice that was given to me i hired a guy who actually had more influence in this church than i did and um he was he was On the surface, a nice guy, but behind the scenes, he was just so political. And behind the scenes, he was lazy and didn't put in the effort and caused division. And, I mean, we're talking about, like, after the firing, we have proof that for over a year was causing these little divisions and pulling groups aside and don't listen to the pastor and that sort of divisive nature of it. And we just... You know, it took me a long time. I did not want to let go of the guy because of political reasons. I didn't want to let go because he had a family. I didn't want to let go just because nobody wants to fire anybody. But um, it doesn't stem back to how we let him go. It stems back to why I hired him in the first place. He had, he was talented, and um, I thought, you know, this is good. This is a win. And so instead of looking at the chemistry side of things, he just didn't fit in our church and in our leadership and so i made a lot of mistakes with that hire and um probably with bossing however you you want to term that and so that was hard that was the hardest lesson i've learned still learning it not sure i'm confident in that area but uh one that we all need to wrestle with, I think. I actually
0: just made a note that we need to have, in one of our future shows, we need to talk through a staff selection process. What's your rubric for uh, selecting good staff? That's been a tough lesson for me as well. And in fact, to your point, Josh, I would say, by far, I mean, when I think back the list, I've been, you know, almost 20 years now being a pastor, I've done things that um, were awfully difficult. I mean, horribly difficult. Literally, we, we can talk about those things later. But the single most difficult thing I think I've ever done as a pastor Well, the two most difficult things I've ever done one was let a staff member go, um, and then the other one was have a staff member pass away. Suddenly, those two things have been really difficult, but particularly the one that was my choice, you know, and along with Mm -hmm. the other leadership in the church. It's just difficult, it's painful. And I think as churches and pastors were prone toward wanting to give grace, wanting to extend as much mercy as possible. But I think we can do that in such a way that we actually damage the church at the same time, and so we can talk more about is, that later. This but.
2: is one of those areas that a lot of people don't realize because they come from a corporate world. And what was what I found to be so ironic was with we talking to some of the ones that were most upset with us, they would tell me stories about firing a dozen people the weekend before just because profit wasn't met. Just, mm-hmm. just you know, it wasn't the person didn't do anything wrong. They just well. With the bottom line, we got to let go of 12 people, and they do, and then there's a moral issue on this side, or an ethical issue on this side, and I wrestle with it for six months and finally make it happen, and I'm heartless, and I'm not considering his family, and I was it was just in this world that pastors walk in as bosses slash pastors that really hurts, and you just really don't know how to deal with it until you do it, I think.
0: Yeah. So as I was thinking through what are good lessons that I've learned, um, I've got There's so many that I can think through. Uh, pastoring, pastoring has been good for my personal walk with Jesus. Pastoring has been good for my relationship with my wife. Pastoring has taught me so much about loving my kids. I mean, it's just pastoring has been one of the primary means of sanctification in my life, and and, and I, I mean, it really has been. God has used pastoring. I love it. It's been good for my soul. But one of the most important lessons I I had to learn. Was that um, creating um, sort of or evening out, you know, work-life family-life balance? Just trying to constantly come up with work-life balance is a is a myth, and um, rather than that, understanding time management not in terms of work-life balance, but understanding time management in terms of work rhythms, work and family rhythms. Beginning to grasp, grapple with that that difference or that distinction helped me so much. When I was trying to balance everything, uh, it, comp- it first of all, it, trying to balance everything disregards the um, often up and down and unusual rhythms and patterns of the pastorate. The reality is there are some days, weeks, months, seasons that are just going to be much more intense and demand much more time, and then there are seasons. When downtime is possible and, and we shouldn't feel bad at all about taking advantage of those downtimes if we know that we're, you know, that we're working hard. And so, you know, when I began to grapple with and, and understand the idea that I'm never going to achieve balance, because what, I, what it did is it caused me to constantly live in a state of tension and frustration. And I would take that frustration out on people in the church. I would take it out on my wife. I'd take it out on my kids because I kept thinking I'm always failing in every area. I'm I'm trying to balance everything, and nothing's getting what it needs. And as I understood that ministry is a pattern of rhythms, um, up and down, slow, fast, tense, and relaxed, uh, beginning to understand that and then beginning to plan around those rhythms helped me to find my stress level going down, satisfaction with my wife going up, much more satisfaction with my own performance at the church. And so uh, a, a good lesson I learned along those lines a while back is to for me I'm a visual learner. I track worship attendance, for instance, visually, over about a seven year period. And I go back and I've got graphs that show me worship attendance patterns. And by doing that I can look at seven years in a row and I can just very quickly and scene see where our normal patterns are. And it's interesting that we have the same patterns you know, week after week, month after month, year after year. And so I then plan both major emphasis and sermon series around that. And then I plan scheduled downtime, not just vacation. And, and, you know, the way we've done vacation has changed. We don't try so much to do big one and two week vacations as much anymore. I mean, we'll still get a week away here or there. Instead, we'll try and do four or five times throughout the year where we go away for two days, one or two nights at a time. And we have found that again, building those into the normal rhythms of life helps us stay up. And when I've got to work a really long week, and that's just reality for the church, everybody in the family knows it, but we know that we're going to be able to compensate for that in a couple of weeks when we've got scheduled downtime built into the schedule. And I'm not going to feel guilty about, you know, having some of that scheduled downtime, because I know that I'm the hardest working person in the church. I'm putting in more hours than anybody else at the church. And I'm just going to take advantage of those relaxed eras or or moments.
1: Mm. You know know what I do? I I tend to react viscerally to things. I know that shocks (laughs) <laughs> you guys that know me if anyone knows me that's listening i know that just shocks anyone that, that i would that i would be that guy but I've, I've learned that about myself and the church and my leadership is you know i'll listen i'll listen i'll listen and then i'll get excited about something or upset about something and whatever it is it's the best thing ever or whatever it is <laughs> it's the worst thing ever and i've i've noticed that people in my church particularly those that aren't around me like the staff like the staff kind of picks up on it, and over time they kind of just learn to roll their eyes or whatever they gotta to do to get past it, but the person that's around me like you know interacts with me once a week or once a month, mm-hmm. when I do that, it completely confuses them <laughs> they, they don't even know how to what, and then and then I've learned that is their impression of me yeah um so i've I've learned to uh to not react as viscerally to things. Um, and and be a bit of a more be more of a diplomat. I mean, as a pastor, you do have maybe not a diplomat, but you have to be diplomatic. Yes. Um. Yeah. And and if you if you don't do that, you're going to have a, a tough time in just about any church, Wh- whatever denomination, whatever background, established or not. Uh, people do expect their pastors to act diplomatically.
0: Yeah, and I think, Sam, to to your point, uh, because I'm very similar to you. Now, this is no surprise to anybody who knows me. I'm a highly verbal, highly expressive, and fairly emotional guy, so I'm... I mean, I still remember, you know, like 10 years ago at Christmas opening a pair of socks and I got real excited about these socks and my sister just laughed and she's like, I feel like I could give you anything and you'd be excited about it. But I, that's just my personality. I'm very what, verbal. What color were the socks? I don't, I don't even remember. I think they may have even been just white tube socks. I, I mean, like nothing spectacular, but I think I needed new socks at the time, so I was really happy to have my new socks. <laughs> but, I, you know, for me, I'm I'm a highly emotional guy. So... I think there is, to some degree, in my life, kind of what you're describing, Sam, where there's sort of been an evening out, at least in the way I respond, learning to listen, learning to certainly, I still want to be as excited as I've ever been about the church, but not to get as crushed, you know, when things aren't what I want, you know or what I hope or what I dream, and and to make sure that I moderate expectations. So I think part of that's maturity. I think the other thing is putting people around you who intentionally putting people around you, who balance out your leadership style knowing that that's so for me when I, I, every time i hire for a staff position someone who's going to be sitting at the table the leadership table around me or if i'm looking for volunteer leaders who are going to be key volunteer leaders in our church i look for slow deliberate quiet and thoughtful people I love those kind of folks because I'm none, I'm none of those I would things. never
1: be able to be on your team then. Yeah, I know.
0: None of us would probably be able to serve. <laughs> but, I mean, I look for those kinds of people because I know I'm going to be a forest and not a tree guy. I'm going to look at a 30,000-foot view of everything. I'm, I can't figure out a detail to save my life, but I can paint really good broad strokes for what we want to accomplish. And, uh, and I'm constantly going to be a guy with his foot on the gas pedal saying, let's go, go, go. And so while I'm trying to moderate some of that and while maturity has helped, I also realize I'm always going to be that way and I ought to be that way. It's the way God made me. It's the way God gifted me. My Mm -hmm. leadership should come from that. But I need to then surround myself with people who can compensate, who can say to me, I love that idea, Micah. But let's think through what that's going to mean. Here's what it's going to cost. Here's what the steps we're going to have to take. Here's the timeline, you know, necessary. Because I'm always like, well, yeah, we can build that building. I'm sure it can be done in two weeks. I don't know why, you know. I mean, <laughs> and everybody's like, no, I, I think we need to think through that a little bit more. And so right. I, I think just being wise with who you surround yourself with has been incredibly helpful for me.
2: I think y'all are both hitting on something that's really good here because you're talking about your personalities, your leadership schedules, uh, your leadership skills with your leadership schedule, and that's where I think that Micah, your rhythms, things would drive me crazy. I'm just not that kind of guy. And to me, if it's not very disciplined and scheduled, even if it's a downtime, I'm still going to, let's say, say it's a week in which I don't have anything to do but prep a sermon. I'm still going to be in the office 830 to 430 because that's the time I'm supposed to be in the office. I'm still going to run on Monday night and Thursday night and Saturday night because that's when I run. I'm running. I'm curious. Can yeah. you explain that to me a little bit more? <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in and never mind, I was gonna make a football joke. But the the idea here, I think that a lot of guys need to really kind of especially when you're trying to figure out your pastor and trying to figure out sort of those schedules and those rhythms and things, you need to be aware of all of that. What I'm learning, which is sort of picking up on the on the the tone that you're saying there, so when I schedule a lunch with somebody, like say a prospective member or another pastor, and I ask them, what day is good for you? I mean, between 8.30 and 4.30, Monday through Thursday, what day is good for you? And <laughs> uh, and so I've started kind of like answering guys like, hey, uh, between Monday and Thursday, 8.30 to 3.30, what time is good to you? Because I need that hour there right, to, to finish the and then meeting, leave and go know, because yeah. it's time to go home. Uh, and, and here lately, I've just started to let myself sort of, I've got my skeleton. And next Monday, I scheduled a, a, a coffee with a prospective member. He he said, Monday at 4.30. And everything in me was like, no, that's that's off time. I'm supposed to go home at that time. And so just allowing that to happen. And uh, had, had a lunch with a prospective member last Friday. That's my day off. I'm not supposed to be working on that day. But let it happen. And I'm seeing a lot of joy in that. I'm not getting away from my schedule. I'm not getting because that's the way I'm wired. Also, what you guys are talking about with the other people at the table, we at our uh, – in our, in our staff development days and stuff like that, we will talk a lot about my problems. Uh, sort of – I'm OCD, or I'm, I'm, uh, I'm time driven. These sort of things, so that everybody's fully aware. And there's been some helpful times when some of our top level leadership will come in and go, "Look, hey, I know that this is going to grade on you because it doesn't really fit with your personality, but I'm going to go do this." And when we ad- when we acknowledge that, I can sit there and go, "Yeah, that's annoying, but go ahead and go do that," you know, because it's my issue, not theirs. And if we, if we can all just, like, learn our own challenges, I think that helps.
0: I want to take you to Africa with me for a month or two, Josh. We'll deconstruct <laughs> that Africa. whole thing, man. <laughs> I went
2: to Africa, and that's horrible. Oh, <laughs> it's to awesome. I quit wearing a watch when I lived there. I America and, and give them the time schedule. And, and you <laughs> so, know, this comes out with, you know, we have a Spanish-speaking congregation on our campus, and... You know, time to them is a suggestion. It's just not going to happen that way. Amen. The Vietnamese church, that's right. The Vietnamese church and I work great. I mean, we are there early, you know, and stuff like that. So, but the, the, what I really want to encourage guys is find out who you are, acknowledge those weaknesses, and then don't necessarily change them. I'm not saying stop being a rhythm guy or stop being a schedule guy. It's just allow other people not to be you, especially if you lead them. You can't get on to people for not being your personality.
1: On the subject of time, it, it kind of clicked in my head, something, that, something unique about uh, the culture within our own nation that, I, that I've learned about scheduling things. So in the Deep South, and I've, I've pastored one, one church in the Deep South, what I learned was when you schedule a meeting or a party or whatever it is at, let's say, 4 o'clock, people start showing up at like 3.50, mm. 3.55. In the deep south like if you have a party they're gonna be there 10 minutes early because that's the polite thing to do if you have a funeral they're gonna be there early but you know when you get outside of the deep south at least what I've noticed maybe our listeners can correct me on this um, I've noticed that if you schedule something at like you know a, a party or what have you a social event at like four o'clock people will start showing up at like four ten because it's a little rude to be there to be there early and, and maybe no, that's just the unique barely. cultures that that I've experienced um, in in my own particular churches. But but I've noticed that. So when when my wife and I would ever have people over uh, in the deep south, it'd be like we'd schedule it for four, but it's like, hey, we need to be ready at three thirty because there's going to be like five or six people that show up like mm-hmm. ten minutes early because that's apparently the polite thing to do. Um, okay. uh, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. It's just kind of a unique thing that I've learned culturally. And, I think and it's culturally. I think it's
2: generationally. Millennials just don't show up to anything on time, and that drives me crazy. As a millennial, it drives me up the wall. And by on time, I mean 15 minutes early. That's what I mean by that. And so what are you doing? Where Where are you at? What's more important than this?
1: Hey, hey Josh, you know what You know what? 930 means? It means What's 930. It? You know That's what 4 exactly o'clock right. means? It, it, means yeah. it means 4 o'clock. If you, if you say yeah. – if you say, I, I'm, we're going to do this at, at 4 o'clock, guess what time I'm going to be walking in the room? At 4, four o'clock. o'clock. Hey, yeah, I'm right fine
2: up. with that. You walk in at 4.10 with a Sonic drink, and I'm going to come all over you. You, sh- you stopped at Sonic. You better be here on time.
1: <laughs> or, 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 or at least brought you
0: something. At least or
2: brought, brought me something. something. <laughs> all poppers, my brother. Where are you at?
0: All right, man. Josh, why don't you send us out with uh, just some help on how folks can continue to connect with us.
2: All right. We're so thankful that you guys are listening. Remember to rate and review us on iTunes. That helps a ton. And let me ask you this. If you have a chance, make sure that you're sharing us across all of your social media. We really do want to help other pastors, and we cannot help them unless they are uh, connected to us on some way. They can follow us on Twitter at EST Church. EST Church. That's where we're at. I want to do a shout out to Paul Sampson, who is following us on Twitter. He actually Suggested uh, Pastor Jay Peoples as one of the most influential people that uh, has been in his life. Both are pastors in Florida. We appreciate both of you for following along. Um, so, again, make sure that you rate and review us on iTunes, follow us on Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at EST Church. Thanks for listening.